In the rural South, a bounty hunter struggles to partner with a young woman. Somebody write this? Hi, and welcome to Somebody Write This, where we use a random plot generator to give us an idea, and then we brainstorm how that could be a thing somebody might want to write. I'm Hannah. And I'm Jenny. And to help us with our brainstorming today, we have a guest. Welcome, Shem Greenwood. Good afternoon. We are very excited to have you here with us. And so before we get into our topic today, we just want to have a real quick chat with Shem and get to know him and his relationship with stories a little bit. And so I want to start with the fact that you teach high school English. I'm a teacher as well, also of high school and middle school. Um, And so I'm curious, what stories or themes do you see today's high school students really connecting with, either in reading or in writing? What types of themes tend to come out? Huh, that's an interesting question. I think anything that surprises them seems to be the things that they get really excited about. Uh, We just finished Graham Greene's The Destructors in my AP language class. And I had a few kids sort of do the the mind blown uh, motion when <laughs> when we sort of talked about what the, the theme of the of the, the story might be, uh, and so things like that really uh, excite me, and it's, it's tend to excite them as well. But they also are just the same things that excite the rest of us: uh, a lovable character or urgent struggle someone has to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a reason those themes are popular. They're universal and transcend age as well. Uh, you said you teach a short elective specifically about ghost stories. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, we do a little program after Christmas break where all the teachers get to teach uh, anything they'd be interested in. So we have one of our That's math awesome. teachers uh, doing rock climbing and another teacher does taekwondo and stage combat, all sorts of different things like that. Uh, and so being not skilled in anything like that uh, i've taught a, a ghost stories class for like i think the last five or six years i've done this it started out just scary stories in general and it sort of evolved into there were so many good ghost stories i just narrowed it down to that and we do uh, a lot of fiction mostly short fiction we do old time radio broadcasts we do podcasts uh, we watch some films uh, pretty much any media you can imagine songs We explore just how ghosts work in different cultures. And I'm especially intrigued when ghosts can be a symbol for something else, from something in the past that is haunting you or something in your history or or someone who's gone but you don't want them to be gone. Uh, Those things are really uh, intriguing to me. And so I I really get a kick out of it. Plus, I I think a lot of the, the classic ghost stories that I take for granted as being really important uh, a lot of my students never experienced. And so yeah. it's, it's good to introduce them and have them watch The Sixth Sense for the first time and things like that. Ooh. Can, can I come be in your class? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I, I want to be part of this. No, that's that's really cool. I know you're also an aspiring novelist. How has teaching others how to read and write <laughs> informed your own work? Well, I hope it has. Uh, that's, that's my insecurity is that, well, you, you understand what makes all these brilliant writers brilliant, but it's very, one thing to understand and another thing to execute it. But just the, the bulk of literature I'm able to consume, I'm a really strong believer in you read what you write. And if, mm-hmm, you, yes. if you read flimsy, predictable, boring stuff. That's probably what your writing will come out to be. Not that anyone should ever feel ashamed or embarrassed to read whatever they feel like reading, but 
because I read I, I read so many amazing authors, uh, it really inspires me to create something at least approaching to to reach that uh, something vaguely resembling their work. Yeah, absolutely yeah. agree. Has there been anything that you've, a book or a genre or an author that you've wanted to be able to bring in your classroom but haven't been able to for what it, logistics or not quite appropriate for their developmental level or whatever? Is there anything that you're just like still aching to teach but you know you can't? There is there is an ever going ongoing struggle with I really want to teach this but because they are high school or, or in some cases junior high students, it's mm-hmm. just not on their maturity level. Uh, I am sometimes able to sneak little bits in, uh, especially with these elective classes. But uh, I just read last year Octavia Butler's Kindred, which is about time travel, but also slavery. Ooh. It's brilliant, but it's also horrifying. Yeah, really heavy yeah. material, sounds like. And so I wanted to bring something into the other elective class I teach, which is time travel. And... Uh, we decided, me and the administrator decided, well, most of this is, is much too graphic to, to teach, yeah. uh, especially because these younger, these classes, anyone can take. It's not just my 11th and 12th graders, but we, we did include just the first chapter of it, and that was very gratifying for me. But uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm working my way through David Foster Wallace's uh, Infinite Jest. Me and some staff members had a little book club going, and I think maybe they've sort of tapped out, uh, <laughs> but I'm still going strong, and I keep reaching points where it's like wow this would be so good to teach rhetoric in my ap language mm-hmm. class if he didn't say the f word nine times in a paragraph <laughs> uh, yeah but but oh. uh just yeah it's, it, i'm always struggling because on the one hand they are brilliant mature people um mm-hmm. more so than we give them credit for but they are still 17 and you don't want to yeah. uh, ruin their their lives too early no i i completely feel that i taught middle school theater <laughs> And there was there was so much that I was like, I wish that I could bring this, but I know when they're not ready for it yet. And it's oh, it's so difficult. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your your unique experience with this. I'm really excited to dive into our story. So as a reminder, our story is in the rural south, a bounty hunter struggles to partner with a young woman. Where do you want to start? I would say the story starts with something like uh, Cynthia pushed her thick glasses up further on the bridge of her nose, uh, wiped the sweat off of her forehead as she sipped her store brand cream soda uh, and waited for the bus. And I imagine the the young woman in our story to be a very bookish and athletically challenged maybe middle school girl and the bounty hunter to be an excessively macho perhaps with tribal tattoos uh swaggering around but perhaps cynthia is his only contact to track down his his mark okay so there so we have we have a a a need for them to be together is the struggle primarily born out of their different personalities born out of the fact that she is a child still born out of the fact that he just is a loner and wants to do this on his own and doesn't want to have to depend on anybody else combination of all three something else i think i think the struggle is gonna arise from the fact first of all that he is a loner and sees himself as a very tough and uh, capable and dangerous person i think if i were writing the story i guess i am writing this story <laughs> yeah I guess you we are. are we are i would say that Cynthia is excessively polite and accommodating and okay. doesn't seem phased by 
first of all, by his his threatening per, uh, persona, yeah, yeah. but also uh, seems much more competent at everything he thinks he's good at than he is. Ooh, oh, I like so it. So she keeps showing him up on stuff. Oh, I like I like that dynamic. But like, not even in a pretentious way. Just like, oh, that's how I do it. <laughs> Isn't the murder weapon probably under the seat of the car? And like, wait, no, it's. I looked under there. It's like, well, look again, and it's there. <laughs> <laughs> I like Cynthia. <laughs> I do too. I do too. Does she know exactly what what the bounty hunter is after? Like, how much is he sharing with her? How much is he allowed to share with her? How much is he allowed to share? How much does she find out anyway? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe we say uh, bounty hunter is looking for Cynthia's uh, uncle Dave. Okay, yeah, I was like a family member, I think. Yeah, who is who is uh, skipped his parole, and so he's been hired to track him down. Oh. Does Cynthia like Uncle Dave? Maybe she doesn't want him to get caught. Oh, <laughs> undermining along the way. Right? Maybe. I, I think there's two ways to go where either Cynthia takes down Uncle Dave because she's indifferent and Uncle Dave's entire smuggling ring, whatever he's he's accused of. <laughs> or maybe our big twist at the end is that Cynthia knew about this all along and sets up Bounty Hunter Guy uh, to meet some sort of untimely demise and rescue Uncle Dave. And maybe Uncle Dave is now like, uh, Cynthia's like, you owe me now, Dave. <laughs> yes. Cynthia is the most diabolical of them all. If she's, if she's still like a, like a middle schooler, her, her parents are absent here. Uh, and so trying to figure out why the bounty hunter goes after her, maybe she's, maybe she and Uncle Dave are really close and she's the only one who's had contact with them. And so he comes to their house, he checks in on them. Mom and dad are both like, no, we haven't heard from him. We have no idea. And then he like sees a text on her phone or something, or hears her say something and realizes that she knows where he is, or she knows at least where he has been. And so trying to find a way to to explain the fact that she is there without that that her parents are absent and that she's essentially just like off on this adventure to protect her uncle with a lot more autonomy than probably a middle schooler would get, which is, you know, obviously every every YA story is is finding a way to give teenagers and young people their autonomy to be able to make decisions and do things without somebody reaching over them right and that and that's the feeling i'm getting about her here is that yeah on the outside she's bookish and quiet and unassuming or whatever but she's obviously got skills somewhere to have that kind of self-confidence and motivation to just do things for herself and like i'm gonna save uncle dave and i'm gonna mm-hmm. get in this bounty hunter's car and go with him. <laughs> well does he have a car or a motorcycle he probably has a motorcycle I'd probably say, well, yeah, I guess a motorcycle would fit. That would that would increase the the amount of irony if he she's on some killer hog. Uh-huh. I imagine our introduction. We need a name for the bounty hunter, I guess. We do. Oh yeah, Ernie. I feel like a bounty hunter would be teased if his name was Ernie. Well, that's what makes him so tough. Maybe so. I, I it also occurred to me as like when we were setting it up for why he. Like that, he he partners with her, and he like takes and decides that they're going to work together on this. But it also occurred to me, we're giving her this amazing sense of autonomy and control over the situation. <laughs> Maybe she's the one who puts them together in the first place. Maybe she realizes that he is on the right track, and she deliberately links up with him to throw him off. <laughs> and oh. so she's like, maybe she accidentally, maybe she's smart enough that she like accidentally lets something drop that makes him think she's got something. But she's but she's pulling the strings the whole time. That's a Weird. that's a really good little key in there. I think I imagine now that I've thought about it for a few minutes, the first end of the story is that that Cynthia saves 
uh, Uncle Dave from Ernie. And then the second twist is that Cynthia turns Uncle Dave in and takes the bounty for herself and becomes Whoa. the youngest <laughs> bounty hunter uh, in Savannah or wherever we are. It depends on, on how devious this character gets. Yeah, I, and I, sure. I like the idea that she, she perhaps could be orchestrating the whole thing from the beginning. I'm not a huge Stephen King reader. Uh, I've only read a few mm-hmm. of his short stories, but he has one of, his, one of my favorite short stories by him is called Poppy, I think. Uh, have, you, have either of you ever read that? I huh. don't think I've read that one. So Poppy is this story of this kidnapper guy. This kidnapper steals this little kid from a mall with, with insidious intent to ransom this kid or do something terrible to him. And so for the first maybe three quarters of the story, you're just horrified at what this person is doing and horrified for the safety of this child. As the story progresses, it beca- uh, the kid keeps saying, well, my poppy is going to come and get you, and then you'll be sorry. And it becomes basically clear that this is not a normal child. And at the end of the story, we realize the child is a vampire, and poppy Ooh. is a grown vampire. Uh, and now you are very much afraid for the bad guy, because yeah. he's very much going to uh, come to a bad end. I'm actually going to pause for a second and uh, and share the title of this, because as we're looking for a name for our bounty hunter... This might be it. The randomly generated title is Bloody Herald. Bloody Herald. <laughs> Which could just be his name. <laughs> like, he sounds a little bit like a pirate, but... My name but is like, Bloody Herald. Why don't we say his name is Harold Blood, but he's he's become yeah. known in his circles as Bloody Herald. Right. Yeah. I, Harold Blood is a great name, too. Right? <laughs> That's fantastic. That's definitely a bounty hunter name. So Bloody Herald is our is our bounty hunter, and uh, that's really nice. We don't need to do any more work for the title than that because that's that's right there. <laughs> uh, that is the easiest we've ever had with that. Seriously. <laughs> so so yeah, so we have this this, which is interesting though because he's the the title character, but she's clearly how obvious is it early on that she's the one in control of the situation? Is this like the Stephen King novel or, or mm. the short story where it becomes it doesn't become obvious until halfway through, until the very end? Clearly, he is our central character for much of it. I love I love a good gotcha twist ending. So I I think the story on its surface appears very edgy and maybe even a little bit noir. Um, mm-hmm. And he yeah. he seems to be like where we're talking about for maybe his internal monologue. Maybe the whole story is written from his uh, perspective. When you were when you were talking earlier about how is it that they become connected, I would imagine maybe maybe the thing about her sipping the soda at the bus stop we we uh, put off for later. Uh, but maybe <laughs> he has spoken to her parents, who are mm-hmm. of no help. Now they've gone away to Atlantic City or something. And so yes. he's he's taken this opportune <laughs> moment to break into her into the house, and the only open window uh, was her bedroom, which maybe later on we can reveal was by design. When she he gets into the bedroom, he sees a movie stub, ticket stub for a movie, uh, which is one of the last places that Uncle Dave was seen at, and we now yeah. can determine ah. that that <laughs> Cynthia, the Uncle Dave, took Cynthia to the movies, and so he's. She she might be our 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 lead. Okay. Okay. Here's here's my question though. And it's an important question. What is <laughs> Cynthia's motivation? If she's not saving Uncle Dave, but if she's turning him in for the bounty, what does she need that money for? Maybe she has like maybe this is a, a situation where she's got a middle schoolers have incredibly 
intense and rigid moral codes at times. <laughs> so maybe, maybe it's a matter of that they're both, that, that Uncle Dave did a thing he shouldn't have done Ooh. and should face the consequences for it. And the bounty hunter also should not get any reward for, for maybe he does something that she disagrees with along the way. So maybe, maybe it's a matter of that she feels like she's putting the world to right and by putting people where they belong. And if she gets a monetary reward along the way, so be it. She sounds a little psychopathic. <laughs> <laughs> She's learning how to how to generate ethics. Okay, I, <laughs> and I, maybe they're a little warped at the moment. I have two theories. The first one is like the typical: oh, somebody in her family is like dying of cancer, and she needs it for the medical bills, and whatever, which makes her you know like very clever, alt- altruistic, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then my second theory will only make sense to those of you who have seen the previous episode. I think she's raising the money and is going to give it to the daughter. <laughs> Okay, which, which as we've established in our previous episode, is a giant worldwide <laughs> crime organization of teenagers. Yes, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, I, yeah, I don't know that. I, I definitely don't see her as being out for the money, but maybe she is. Maybe that's a piece of it. I, um, uh, my first impression was, we create some humor in that. The whole time she's scamming these two uh, dangerous adults, she just wants some, like, limited edition Polly Pocket set that she, that's on YouTube <laughs> or something. When you were talking earlier about motivation, I, I feel like we start the story with some really gritty, self-important monologue from, Her- we say Harold? Harold? Harold. Uh-huh. Harold, yes. Talking about how uh, evil can't escape me and I'm the law. And then we end the story with her her giving a similar monologue that I am the law. And even uh, Bloody Harold thought he, no one knew about his uh, double dealings, but uh, justice has been served. They cannot escape my all vigilant gaze or something like that. Okay, I yeah. want to read this. I want to read yeah, it Yeah, so, but, like, just coming around to the idea that, again, you're looking at universality, the universal, like, desire to be in control and to be the one making the decisions. And uh, and we see it in this in this kid as well as in this bounty hunter manifesting in different ways. In fact, I would, pr- I would say maybe it starts with Harold crushing a beer can and throwing it away as he delivers his little internal monologue. <laughs> and we end with, uh, her like crushing a Capri Sun bag or something, yes. <laughs> throwing, yes. throwing it away. I love Beautiful. this. This like Beautiful sort of dark parallels. ironic comedy. Oh, yes. this is. I like this a lot. We are like right about at time for discussing the plot specifically. Are there any pieces that you think that we're we're really missing? Do we need to get into depth about why it's in the rural South, or is that not as essential to the the heart of it? I think I think just I mean obviously because that was the prompt we were given, but I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so we can amplify the the gun-toting uh, sort of backwoods element that we we get in like a a Coen Brothers film or something like that. It's setting setting the atmosphere. Maybe maybe we could even introduce a racial element, possibly, where maybe maybe Cynthia is black and and Harold is white, possibly. and so he expresses some some uh, less than open-minded views, and so it's maybe more gratifying when she gives him his comeuppance. That's, that's a possible element. Maybe it's not necessary. I don't know. Yeah. But I think there's definitely a lot that you could explore in the dynamics between these two to set to set it up to be yeah. extremely satisfying when she does get this. And don't forget about Uncle Dave. Like, what is his history? Mm-hmm. What did he do to get a bounty hunter after him? What's his relationship with his family? And does he already have a history with Harold? Yeah. So I think I think we are at this point going to going to take what we've 
what we've pulled out of this, which is really fascinating. And go ahead and turn it over to our listeners to fill in the gaps. Terrific. All right. So as we close out, let's go ahead and we'll each take a second. We'll share a story that we think our listeners should check out. I think this time I'm going to share a book series that I first read uh, when I was in high school. Uh, It's called The Otherland series. It's by Tad Williams. It's a giant series. Well, it's not so many books, but every book is like 800 pages. It's it's this long, sprawling, sci-fi, vaguely fantasy epic about a virtual world a little bit further in the future from now. And it follows all these different characters who end up, for various reasons, end up stuck in the virtual world. And because it's set in this virtual space the characters move from virtual uh, creation to virtual creation. And uh, and so there's this variety of worlds within it, some of which are based on actual fictional places. Like there's one that's entirely inspired by the Wizard of Oz, that somebody got into this virtual system and decided to make a Wizard of Oz world. And so it's, it's kind of exploring all the different ways that... Uh, I, I find it fascinating to see all the different possible places that they could go within this. And the characters are really, really interesting. And I just reread it uh, about a year ago, the entire series, and loved it just as much now as I, as I did then. So I definitely recommend that, the Otherland book series by Tad Williams. I'm going to toss it over to Jenny. What would you like to recommend this week? Well, I just learned the other week that there are grown people in this world who have not actually seen The Princess Bride. So if you're like everybody and have seen The Princess Bride, go watch it again. But Google UB Princess Bride, that's Y-U-B-I-U-B, to find this this person's uh, Twitter thread live tweeting their discovery of this classic, iconic, beloved, intrinsic to our culture movie. Um, And if you haven't seen the movie, you got homework. (laughs) The book is fantastic also. It's fantastic in a different way than the movie is. All right, Shem, what would you like to share? Well, it's really tricky for me to pick just one, uh, but the <laughs> one that came to my, my mind first is Stories of Your Life and Others by Ted Chiang. Ted Chiang is a science fiction writer who's getting uh, a lot of attention right now. And I think the titular story is called Story of Your Life might be the best science fiction story I've ever read in all my Ooh. literate days. It is. I haven't seen the film uh, Arrival, but it is the the story on which that film was based. Although my understanding is the director of the film uh, takes the story in a different direction in a very Mm -hmm. also artistically meaningful way, but but not how the story plays out. But Chang has this gift of writing these stories that feel realistically scientific. Almost everything, it seems very hard science, Uh, not inaccessible, but it seems like you must have had a degree in whatever this field of study was to write this story and then he'll take it in some just slightly interesting science fiction sort of direction that just makes these really fascinating really intriguing really uh human stories that i I just couldn't get enough of so stories of your life and others is the collection the individual story is called story of your life by ted chang and it's just spectacular. Fantastic. We don't we don't get enough folks plugging uh, short story collections. And so I'm, I'm glad that you did. All right. Before we take off, is there anything you want to plug for yourself, Shem? Any uh, social media or blogs or works that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, not for me personally, but I would say actually maybe there is. I, I started a tradition just for myself and my friends uh, a few years ago that I called Book Brag. And all it is, is keeping track of all the books you read in a year. 
And then at New Year's, when everybody is talking about their resolutions and their favorite albums of the year, mm-hmm. I just put up my list and it becomes a really great discussion uh, for things that I would like to read when I read other people's lists. Um, and other people could say, oh, I read that and I loved it too. And so you can make connections mm-hmm. with people. Uh, and I think it's just one more way to celebrate reading uh, and create a community around reading, uh, which I think is terrific. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. We had an awesome time and uh, ended up with something really, uh, really fascinating. And I hope we get somebody yeah. sending us in something uh, based off of this. Well, I might just have to to write this myself as well. Yeah. Oh, do if it. you do, we Send had us. we had one of our one of our previous guests write out a piece of uh, a piece a chapter of of the story that he guessed it on. So go for it. If you do, uh, we will. Uh, anybody who sends anything in to us, we will read a little bit on the podcast if you'll let us and put uh, put some of it up on our, our podcast blog, if that's okay. Uh, we'd love to continue showing people where these stories get taken, especially if they go in a very different direction than where we started. Super. Awesome. Well, that's our episode. As a reminder, you can find us every other Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at WriteThisPod. And if you've been inspired by this episode and have questions or comments or a script or anything else, email us at somebodywritethis at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll be back with one more episode in two weeks. See you then. And as they say, if the sun shines, it will be warm.